There's a lot of scam artists claiming to have access to the data that was leaked as part of that incident, for example. But only a small percentage of it is going to be like legitimate traffic. So yeah, it's important to have like not just the intel, but also the expertise to sift through all that dark web activity during IR so you can focus on that activity that's truly important to you, which is mitigating that leak, for example. Financially motivated actors are rampant out there. They love the underground markets. It's a marketplace, so it's financially motivated. But we also have hacktivists out there as well. They're operating on places like Twitter. They're dumping and doxing information onto case sites that we'll pick up on. And, you know, occasionally we do even pick up on espionage actors or nation state actors through, for instance, newly registered domains. Welcome back to the Defenders Advantage podcast. I'm Carrie Maitry, Senior Director of Services and Solutions here at Mandiant. Thank you for joining us for the Frontline Stories series. In this episode, we're going to explore digital risk protection and what it means, what it can tell us about cyber threat profiles and you know how the attackers are finding our weaknesses. Joining me today are Sarah Korth. She's the Director of Commercial Intel Services here at Mandiant and Josh Bass, the Director of Product Management at Mandiant. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So let's jump right in. Josh, maybe you can help us out with this one. So DRP, digital risk protection, is kind of a new concept. So can you tell us what is it? Sure. So DRP, digital risk protection, in a nutshell, it allows customers to better mitigate and understand risk through providing clarity on things like their external tax surface, their deep dark web presence, um, whilst weaving uh, threat intelligence CTI through all of that data, which really gives customers actionability and prioritization on that data we get back from their external tax surface and, and the dark web. So tools aren't limited to their own organization, of course. It's, you know, we find these customers also need that clarity on their supply chain too, right? So third parties as well as their own organization. So it's, it's really kind of three pieces together, threat intelligence, uh, tax surface management, deep dark web monitoring, but kind of how they work together. Is that right? Yeah, that threat intelligence piece really helps customers like, operationalize the results of that tax surface scan, for example. And the deep dark web monitoring, I mean, that's kind of digital threat monitoring. That's existed for a while, right? So what's different about it now? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. So thinking about, like, if we take that 30,000 foot view on digital risk and how DTM fits into that. So we first started really hearing customers talk about the need to start pushing threat intelligence through the results of deep dark web monitoring. And that's what DTM is. We've offered it for quite some time. Obviously, Sarah's going to talk about it um, later on from a managed perspective. But um, digital threat monitoring allows customers to get total visibility on how their organization is being discussed in areas that aren't accessible through search tools and search engines, right? So who is discussing your organization on this dark web forum? 
what are their motives, right? So mm-hmm. deep dark web monitoring, which we call digital threat monitoring, gives customers that, uh, that, that, I guess, that visibility. So we first heard customers talking about the need to kind of weave threat intel through those results, I guess about a year ago now. One really interesting thing that we're working on at the moment is, well, what, do, what does Mandiant know about these IP addresses that we are pushing, pulling back from the, this deep dark web chatter and then providing customers with information on you know, the who, what and why. So this IP address is linked to this known threat actor by Mandiant. Mandiant suggests you take these actions to mitigate risk because we know the, the TTPs of what this, what this threat actor typically does. So yeah, to answer your question, DTM gives you that, that visibility on the, on the deep dark web just with threat intel woven through it. And we'll get, we'll get some good examples, some dishy secrets from Sarah about what she finds in her role in just a minute. But um, let's talk about attack surface management real quick too, just so everybody has an idea of, you know, all the bits that go into digital risk protection. So in the new Defender's Advantage cyber snapshot, which is a report put out by Mandiant, they provide statistics on, on ASM, attack surface management, and they, they kind of show the, top critical issues from the attacker's viewpoint. So in this report, I saw that 25% of what we see is exposed data repositories. And we also see exposed ports, suspicious commits. What are other things that you can see through these attack service management type tools? So I think the best way to answer that is to go back to that, that report again. So the Defender's Advantage Cyber Snapshot. I think one of the really interesting items in that in that report was the subdomain hack issue. So I believe 15% of issues we found based on that report are subdomain hack related. This really brings us back to a, a real common issue amongst a lot of larger organizations, um, which is poor DNS hygiene. This is something I personally have quite a lot of experience in just through sort of previous uh, previous life. It's, it's relatively easy to forego uh, in larger organizations good levels of dns hygiene so for example if a certain department needs a subdomain spun up for whatever reason it could be a a marketing campaign right over time that subdomain then becomes uh, less important to the organization employee turnover happens It's, it's often forgotten about so that subdomain is is sitting there within within DNS and is easily can be easily accessible through an initial like someone getting access to your network, and then it can be manipulated. For example, it's very easy to change then the MX records potentially of that domain. So it often is a, a common cause of that external attack surface being broader than a lot of organisations truly think it is because of that sort of subdomain. DNS hygiene issue. So yeah, that equates to, I think, about 15% of of issues that we find in the world of uh, ASM. Yeah, and I also saw in the report, there's things like new assets being added, new vulnerabilities. I mean, these are not, you know, advanced, super sophisticated things to fix. But it seems like, you know, organizations just don't even know what they they have, which has been a common problem for ever, (laughs) I think. Yeah, right. So... One of the things in that report highlights S3 buckets, and it just talks about 
you know, everybody's kind of moving to the cloud and it talks about misconfigurations, allowing public access and, um, you know, poor policies, letting people access um, authorized users. So, you know, either of you, I mean, what are, what are kind of the implications of these misconfigurations, you know, so that, so they get access, you know, what does that mean to the organization? Well, one of the, the implications or the risks really when you have exposed S3 buckets or other types of buckets like that is that malicious actors are going to stumble upon it. And then, then they've got your sensitive information, right? They can harvest that. They can take it. They can resell it or use it in phishing campaigns, whatever it might be, right? Whatever you can conceive of with whatever that information happens to be, you know, if it's exposed, bad guys might find a way to, to use it. Yep. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't know it's exposed, then you don't know how to fix it. So um, very useful to find these things. So Sarah, let's, let's turn to you. What can you explain to us your role at Mandiant and kind of your expertise? Yeah, sure. So I'm one of the directors on our Intel services side of the house here. I look after three different teams of Intel analysts that all are producing custom tailored Intel for customers in, in some way, shape or form. And one of those teams is focused on our managed digital threat monitoring product platform and whatnot that we have, which we've you know touched a little bit on the DTM bit of it. So that team is essentially a bunch of analysts that in each analyst has works with a few of our clients and they manage the platform for them. They're in there triaging the alerts, they're tuning filters and keywords on a daily basis. And then they are proactively investigating, researching those findings to really find out whether something is malicious or a potential threat to a client. And then they'll provide that Intel analysis to the, to the client so that they can have a better understanding of what are their risks and what is the threat out there to them or their organization. So you're definitely on the front line. So, you know, what are, what are some secrets? What are some examples of what you see? Sure. I, I mean, like Josh had mentioned and what you had talked about, I mean, we definitely see stuff in the deep and dark web. That's, that's one of the main, I guess, use cases, if you will, or main interests of our clients, actors out there selling information or looking to target certain organizations. We can pick up on all of that type of information, or maybe it's compromised payment cards, right? There's all these sort of niche little marketplaces out there that we have um, visibility into. But it's also, you know, in a way, it's not just the deep and dark web, where obviously that is the big place that a lot of actors operate. But we also look at other locations, other sources, other places that the bad guys are operating. So for instance, ransomware shaming sites, a lot of times those are related to the deep and dark web, but we're looking at those as well. We're looking at PACE sites. We are looking at malware and code repositories. Sometimes actors use those uh, locations as well. And we're looking for either the bad guys targeting our clients, whether it's you know specific targeting or opportunistic campaigns or just accidental maybe exposures as well out there. So that, I mean, those are just some 
examples. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like the attackers kind of can go to these malls, these different stores and say, I want credit cards, I want, you know, code repos, I want domain phishing type things, and they can just go purchase what they what they want. Yeah, absolutely. They can go find all, all that stuff out there. And I know that we spoke earlier today about advances in DTM. And one of them was the use of natural language processing, NLP. And one of the examples you gave was around Ford. So can you just tell us that story about, you know, how NLP works with Ford? Great. This is a really interesting example. So one of the main issues that we find when we talk to potentially potential new customers of our digital threat monitoring solution is, frankly, the amount of noise that other services uh, and products in this space generate. So if you think about it, you're going out to the, the deep dark web with a search term and saying, tell me everything you know about my organization. Now let's pretend that I work at Ford for a second. I'm going to the dark web. I need to, learn, I need to know every time the, term, the, the word Ford is mentioned. Now, obviously I'm going to get back interesting pieces of intel regarding Ford as an organization, but I'm also going to start receiving alerts around Harrison Ford, for example. You know, there's a new Star Wars film out with a press release and Harrison Ford's mentioned. I'm going to start receiving alerts and intel around Ford City in Pennsylvania and Chelmsford in Essex, which is near where I'm from, right? So these services generate a, a ton of noise. So we've invested a lot of time, energy, resources, uh, money into our data science department here at Mandiant. What we're able to do is to, with a, with a good degree of accuracy, we're starting to see now that we can start to define, yes, this is Ford being used within the context of your organization. So this is starting to become more commonplace in, in the market in general. We've internally um, within Mandiant have made some really impressive strides here. But ultimately, natural language processing, which is the, the, the process by which this happens, really helps reduce all of that noise, basically, from the dark web that gets generated by these services. So it means that Intel analysts and SOC analysts can concentrate on that top 5% of what really matters to them. Those top, that top 5% of relevant, like, actionable alerts that are truly related to my organization. Yeah, reducing noise in the security industry is what we're all trying to do. So this sounds like it uh, is taking a step forward for that. Yeah, we're really excited by it. Yeah, we have some good feedback too. But it's, it's becoming more commonplace in the industry, certainly. So, you know, when, when we're finding these, these attackers, they're looking, they're shopping around. What are their motivations? You know, what, what are we seeing as motivations for attackers? Sure. Honestly, it can range. You got the gamut. I mean, obviously... Financially motivated actors are are rampant out there, right? They love the underground markets. I mean, it's a marketplace, so it's financially motivated, right? But we also have hacktivists out there as well. You know, they're operating in on places like Twitter. They're dumping and doxing information onto case sites that we'll pick up on. And, you know, occasionally we do even pick up on espionage actors or nation state actors through, for instance, 
um, newly registered domains. That's another thing we look at, right? And so when we're digging into a domain that, uh, say, mimics one of our clients' domains, we might find, you know what, this domain looks like it's run and operated by a known espionage group. Man, we need to look into this more, right? So it really does range, but certainly the, the financially motivated actors out there that are, are all over the deep and, and dark web, and of course, ransomware is all over the place now too. So there's definitely a lot of that, but you see a range of motivations. So, you know, if they're, if most are financially motivated, but not all, what sort of industries or what sort of organizations are being targeted that we're, sure, that we're it, discovering? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, it ranges. Our clients fall into all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different regions and countries. Uh, but really, a lot of times what it'll come down to is or, you know, kind of the, or one of the factors in the level of risk that there is, is how big is your organization? How well known is your organization? So, for instance, the bigger your organization is, means you're going to have a bigger footprint potentially globally, right? Or you're going to have more employees that could potentially be accidentally being that weak link, right? So the bigger you are, certainly that means you're going to be kind of exposed more or potentially have that higher risk uh, level and the more well-known you are. So if you're a household name, certainly bad guys know about you too, right? So kind of think about it that way a little bit as well, certainly. It's not just these you know, industries or big names being targeted, but also as we've seen in our M Trends report, you know, supply chain is a major, you know, initial attack vector. Do you see that as well? Yeah, definitely. That is one of the things we can certainly do, and we do see that. Uh, my team sees that with with DTM when we're looking for threats to our clients. We would consider, you know, threats to their third party business partners, whether that's formal supply chain. Uh, or maybe it's another type of business partner. Maybe it's an HR business partner or a legal business partner. Whatever it is, if you're working with another business, you know they have risks and threats too. So it is definitely something we see. We might see a you know business partner of one of our clients mentioned on a ransomware shaming site, right? So if that happens, then you might have to think about well, what information of mine do they have access to? Or what information of my clients do they have access to that is now potentially at risk? So certainly we do. I was going to add, like, even when we talk to our customers around deep dark web threat monitoring and attack surface monitoring, one of the key use cases that they come back to us uh, referencing is always supply chain. When we were doing the research for for these offerings quite some time ago, we went out there on a quantitative basis and said to our customers, what are the, the top five use cases that you're most likely to use these services for? And supply chain was always in the top three. I think we saw last year or the year before last, the, the SolarWinds breach is a great example of like how rampant supply chain is. And that's only going to get more 
um, or rather that's the, the repercussions of, without trying to get into another subject here, like the log for shell vulnerability, right, where suddenly anyone that used an Apache appliance was known to have this log4j vulnerability, right? So it kind of that, that supply chain, like attack surface, just grew monumentally like overnight as that news broke. And we're still seeing that, right? In attack surface management, we're still seeing externally facing log4j issues. So you know, one, one of the other things, you keep talking about supply chain, but one of the other things that's in the, the cyber, cyber snapshot this time is a discussion about M&A. So when you're going to purchase a company, you want to know what are their exposures, what are their risks? risks. So um, how are companies using digital risk protection, the DTM and the ASM, lots of acronyms, uh, to kind of mitigate their risk? I guess both of us can go into detail on that one, but I think... It'd be really interesting to hear from Sarah, given like Sarah's team on the front line here, right, looking at this data. So over to you. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, mergers and acquisitions, right? So we absolutely see organizations use this, uh, or digital threat monitoring for this use case, whether it's in the like pre-stages of a merger and acquisition, right? Um, or even post-acquisition. So in like pre-acquisition, right, you might be doing your, your, your due diligence and going through that process of, you know, do we really want to make this purchase, right? Uh, so we can be on the, the, the lookout, right, and for threats to that organization you're, you're going to purchase, right, or you're looking to acquire to kind of assess the, what are the potential risks or threats going into this business decision, right? And post M&A, so once that acquisition has already been made, oftentimes, right, that integration between two companies can take a while. And you, you might not even have all the technical pieces and networks and whatnot integrated, yet you're still to a degree, you know, responsible for both parties or both entities, right? So with we can monitor, again, for that... Uh, incoming essentially infrastructure or whatnot to see what is what is out there or what might develop over the course of the next year or whatnot before everything is truly tightened integrated during that process so it's kind of that extra set of eyes on both sides of that actual business transaction a, a great example of that is sarah's team uh, with their knowledge and expertise or, or the, the product will be able to alert you on compromised mailboxes and email addresses, for example. So if you know that you're about to jump into a merger with another organization um, where there's intellectual property at stake, that suddenly becomes vulnerable. And we detect that there's some type of dark web activity relating to someone trying to sell access to your network um, or someone claiming to have access to a mailbox in the organization you're about to M&A with, acquire, it, it adds a totally different dimension to the risk factor of that merger slash you know, acquisition. So yeah, M&A is another really good use case behind what we're trying to do here with digital risk. So when they're doing M&A or really any organization, is this something that 
you know, you're kind of working on your cyber threat profile, you're looking at how the attacker sees you. And is this something that, you know, is, is once a quarter good enough? Is once a month? Like, what's our recommendation for this sort of activity? Ongoing. Absolutely. You know, there's, there are some services out there that provide scanning on a kind of more seldom basis. But certainly, and Sarah can talk this extremely well, but even from the, like, the product from a product perspective, we see this landscape changing so rapidly, especially with events going on right now in Eastern Europe. So with this extremely fluid environment that we're in, defenders have to be extremely vigilant with like how often they, that they're set up for scanning and collecting, um, not just from the deep dark web, right, but also like how often they're scanning their external taxa, their external attack surface, and also third-party external attack surfaces. So if you rely heavily on a vendor that provides some sort of service right into your network, it could be a cloud provider, for example, you need to be scanning them, right, on an ongoing basis as well. So this is a real common theme that, that we see from, from customers that we talk to anyway, that, that need for like, that constant scanning, that constant analysis um, of that attack surface. I don't know, Sarah, like what you can add to that, but I imagine you guys see this changing on a daily basis. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, definitely the actors are always out there. And, and again, you have people, right? Your employees are taking actions every day as well. So between the actors and your employees always doing something, there's always motion uh, somewhere, somehow, whether, yeah, maybe it is working with some sort of a third-party business partner, right? So you definitely need to be doing this regularly for the DTM side of the house. With my analysts, I know we're in there every day going through client alerts to make sure we're not missing something and to make sure we can get our analysis and research done and get it to the client as quickly as possible because time is always you know, super important, right? The faster you have the information, the quicker you can head off any major problems. And it sounds like, you know, there's there's lots of alerts, but it sounds like, you know, there's automation, there's technology that's definitely helping with that. And then Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, your team actually does additional research, adds some color around that before presenting it to the customers so that, you know, they, they don't have to work as hard and they can save their resources a little bit. But when when we do find alerts, either, you know, an organization running digital risk protection by themselves or your team running it, who do those alerts go to? Sure. Good question. Well, if it's my team running it, the client will get the alert. They, they absolutely, they're, they're welcome to go in and take a look anytime they want. But our analysts will get those alerts and be actioning them again, going through them on a daily basis, triaging them, tuning them, and then identifying, you know, this looks suspicious or this is definitely a threat. Let me dig into that. And so I can provide the extra context, the who, what, when, where, why, how, why is this important to you, client? You know, here you go. And we'll do that analysis for them. Um, But if, you know, if the client, uh, again, the client has access to it either way. So sometimes the client might be a Intel practitioner themselves. Sometimes maybe it's a SOC analyst. Whoever from the client side is needing 
to use this, you know, technology and this, what we have is, is really, again, there's multiple use cases, right? That could be the fraud team, could be the SOC, could be, could be the Intel team. Variety of different people can be using this. It also seems like an incident response team would love this sort of information just to kind of help with their response, making sure that it's complete, making sure that, you know, use, using these automated tools to see what else is coming after these these organizations. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely see that as well a lot. Oftentimes when we're doing IR work, right, Mandiant, we're a big IR company, we will bundle in or partner with them in order to provide this, the, the digital risk protection or the, the underground monitoring or whatnot for those organizations. You know, if a client has had information or data that has been stolen or potentially compromised as the IR is unfolding, we can get that monitoring spun up super quickly, super quickly, so that we are then looking to see, you know what, is a bad guy out there offering this for the, this data for sale in an underground market, or are they threatening to release it on a ransomware shaming site? We've absolutely seen that happen. Um, and sometimes, depending on the criticality of the data, you know, clients might want to continue monitoring for an extended period of time. You just have to, it's kind of that, again, that risk calculus. How will this impact me if this data is released a month from now, six months from now, two years from now, right? What will that do to me, my organization? Are there more security risks if this gets out there? Are there regulatory issues if this gets out here? Like, you know, six months from now, two years from now, a month from now, whatever it is, that has to go into the to the calculus as well. And we absolutely see that. Well, following on to that point, I think why Sarah's team is so important, like mid-IR, is that as an IR incident response is going on, like it's bedlam. It's it's crazy, right? So having a team of experts monitor not just because you're, you're a tech surface, which is now ever-changing, but also like deep dark web activity relating to that IR, I think is extremely valuable. And we know based on you know, feedback we get from customers that are in that moment that use these services, it is extremely valuable because as you can imagine, like the amount of deep dark web activity only increases once there's been an IR, right? But then you need that expertise to be able to sift through um, all of that activity to tell you what really matters. Now, there's a lot of scam artists claiming to have access to the data that was leaked as part, you know, the, uh, as part of that incident, for example. But only a small percentage of it is going to be like legitimate traffic. So, yeah, it's important to have like not just the intel but also the expertise you know, to sift through all that dark web activity during IR. So you can focus on that activity that's truly important to you, which is mitigating that, that leak, for example. Man, lots of, lots of use cases for this. So we got incident response and supply chain and, and finding configuration issues and uh, M&A. So let's, let's kind of wrap this up. I'm going to ask each of you, Sarah, I'm going to ask you first. What's the one thing you want people to take away that you want them to know about digital risk protection? Oh, it's a really good question. And honestly, I guess I would say 
is that the it's dynamic. Like the threat landscape that's out there is dynamic. It's changing. There's always a new sort of threat, a new place where the bad guys are, are operating. And so we can really, I think, provide a lot of our expertise, uh, human expertise, and then the technology and all the expertise that went into building that tech to really, I think, give clients a solid chance, <laughs> right? A solid picture, a solid um, kind of step in the right direction when they're faced with these threats. I mean, again, there's such a range of them out there. And we really try to make sure that we can take care of our clients in all these different areas. It's kind of why we're coming together, right, under this digital risk protection model. There's this solution for clients that touches on the, the the deep and dark web, the DTM, the ASM, and cope that with Intel, right? There's there's so much uh, that we can that we can do for clients in this sort of dynamic, ever changing threat landscape. I guess Josh, I'll pass it to you. <laughs> well, all of that, of course, and a, a holistic digital risk protection solution should provide that aha moment of great now i can be proactive in reducing my my risk like i know my attack surface i have knowledge of deep dark web activity relating to me and i have nation state grade threat intel cyber threat intel woven through all of that that entire process so i know what why and who is attacking me so the most important thing is when i know the who when i have the attribution of the who um is attacking me it opens the door to a whole bunch of goodness and proactivity awesome well i want to thank my guests today thank you for joining me on this episode uh to those listeners out there please join us for our next episode with more frontline stories